0: Well, hello there. It is time for another episode of Pod People's Podcast for people who make podcasts. I'm your host and the head of community at Pod People, Tyler Green. For this trends episode, we're doing something a little different. Rachel, our CEO of Pod People, and Ann, our head of business development, want to walk you through some common FAQs that our community members bring us about going on client meetings. Now, if you're a community member and you've been through an onboarding call or even been put up for an interview through us, then you're familiar with the process I'm about to describe. But if you're not a community member yet, first of all, podpeople.com slash join. Just do it. It's awesome. Or if you just want a refresher on the process, then listen up. Our process goes like this. We come to you with a fully vetted project and client looking for a producer, writer, editor, sound designer, whatever you are. We send you a little note saying, hey, I think you and this project might vibe. Does this feel like a fit to you? Then you write us back saying, yes, I love this. I love everything about that. Or no, thanks. I pass. We say, great. We'll let them know you're interested too. Or okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks meanwhile back at the ranch pod people does our thing behind the scenes using your great samples and everything we know you're amazing at to pitch you as the best candidate for this role then ding, we get a message from them because they love you as we knew they obviously would and it's time for that interview Even if you're interviewing for a position not through pod people, you've got to remember there's only one opportunity to make a first impression. So Rachel and Anne want to give you some tips to make your interview shine extra bright. Because like Anne is about to describe, it's easy to look good on paper, but you definitely want to show up with a little more dimension than that piece of paper.
1: it's really important when you have these initial calls with potential clients to really, really sell yourself and, you know, whatever line of work you might be in, you might not be used to traditionally really selling yourself and having that, like, Mm traditional interview type feel, but it is really important to just follow a few guidelines in order to just secure the client. Because sometimes you can walk in and you can think that you know about the show and then you end up talking to the client and it comes off that you didn't do your homework and that's the biggest red
2: flag to a client. That has happened a few times and it's a super bummer because then it's hard for us to be able to put that person up again for another job. And then the client is like, wait, were they not vetted on the background?
1: Are they not interested? And so... I think it's really important to just do at least an hour's worth of Googling and background research and as much reading up on the client and the potential subject matter that you can. So you can come into the interview really sounding like an expert in the field, really understanding what you're going to be working on. Because the more knowledge and the more professional you can sound, the more likely you are to impress the client and then get the job.
2: Yeah. And I think the most important thing is making sure that you familiarize yourself with their work. Even if it's for a new Mm -hmm. show that doesn't exist yet, you can listen to their other stuff. Or if it's for a full-time role, then you want to listen to a little bit of all of their shows and podcasts so that you just have a sense of like what they sound like and what their values are and what kind of shows they're looking to make. That's such a good point. And honestly, in
1: interviews, clients are looking for people to reference their past work and kind of looking to get a little bit of credit and for someone to say, Oh, I love when you worked on XYZ. I thought the tone of this show was so great. Just giving a little fluff to the client too was yeah, always an, an extra gets bonus.
2: Everywhere. Absolutely. Everywhere. And it just shows that you're you're prepared.
1: Absolutely. And then when it comes to talking about yourself and your prior work, I feel like It's really natural to be kind of humble about the work you've done. And I think in interviews, it is literally the one time where you have to just start bragging. You have to talk about your successes and you have to speak with confidence. And that's really important. And not just your successes, you know, I worked on this show for X amount of years. I managed a team of three, whatnot, but really quantify your successes. So say like, I worked on it for X amount of months. We grew the download numbers. Again, bring it back to, I've managed a team of three that grew into a team of five, really like put numbers behind the work you've done because it helps the client understand exactly how much responsibility you have and exactly what type of work you've done.
2: Totally. And then what about like presentation? I mean, we're all on Zoom, right? But what would you wear? How would you organize your Zoom background?
1: Exactly. Because we're not going into in-person interviews anymore, which frankly is lovely. (laughs) We're so used to these like Zoom calls. I know, Rachel, you and I are constantly in sweatpants when we're talking to each other, but you have to remember this is still an interview. So dress for the job from the top up, at least like wear a blazer or wear something nice. Don't wear the t-shirt you slept in, which I'm guilty of doing multiple times on calls with Rachel.
2: Well, that's fine when it's internal.
1: Internal. Exactly. (laughs)
2: I will also give you carte blanche to wear sweatpants from like from the bottom down. I know that the adage is, you know, you carry yourself differently if you're fully dressed. I disagree. I feel a sense of almost like getting away with something and like mischievousness if I'm just wearing like a nice blazer and like look great and have my hair done from the top up. But below, I'm totally wearing my ratty college sweatpants from 15 years ago. Yeah. Like personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So let's talk about. The harder piece, I think, which is money, right? So when we bring mm-hmm. people a job, a, a potential project, we always give them an idea of what the rate is that's attached to it. But oftentimes it'll have a range, Based on the final scope of work, which we also help to define. And a lot of that is on us to educate the client. And we do, we say, listen, if you want this person to be able to do all 10 of these responsibilities, then you're going to need to pay X, Y, Z. But there is still some flexibility. So even though we're matching you with a job that we know is in the right range of pay and rate for the scope of work and your level of expertise, there is still that wiggle room. So how do you suggest people talk about money?
1: So Pod People actually is working really hard on defining standard rates across the industry, which is something, I mean, people keep talking about how it's still such a nascent industry, there aren't standard rates like there are in the writing world or in the film and TV world. But that's something that we push really hard for, for fair rates. And so whether or not you're being staffed with pod people or you might have found a job on your own, it's really important to make sure that you really know your worth coming into the call or coming into negotiations. And what's really important, too, is sometimes client might try to down negotiate and on pod people stuff, we try to push back against that. But if you have a job elsewhere and the client's saying, eh, well, we can really only pay this for that, you should really know your worth and say, I'm actually worth more than this, or or maybe have a hard line of what you're willing to go down to. Mm -hmm. But don't let the client talk you out of the rate you initially spoke about. It's really important to even sort of upsell yourself and talk about why you're worth what you are.
2: Yeah. And what you're bringing to the project, because, you know, if we've matched you to a project, it's because you have some kind of specific skill or subject matter expertise that makes you a perfect fit for it. So you can talk about that and leverage it. Another thing that we've had happen sometimes is we will give someone the range for the rate. And then when they get on the call with the client, they'll say they want two or three times that rate. So also don't do that. If you know what the rate is and it's not good for you, then just pass on the opportunity, please.
1: So be upfront about what your rate is and sort of stick to it, unless the scope of the job changes. And that's really important. Sure. Absolutely. So one of the most important things in this negotiating, moving into the contracting phase is you need to be incredibly clear about what your responsibilities are and put absolutely everything in writing. We had someone who was told they were going to work for three months on a project. It's just going to be three months of work. The day they started, they were told they had to create 80 episodes in three months. Which is just insane, insane. But that wasn't put in writing from the start because three months, you know, you assumed it would be X amount of episodes or whatnot. So every time you put together a contract or you're looking at a contract that the client sent you, make sure that every single thing in your scope of work was quantified. Are you going to be story editing? Are you going to be cutting tape? How many hours a week are you expected to work? All of that stuff needs to be set up front. And I think it's also really important that you do not begin work unless a contract is signed by both parties.
2: Yeah, let's talk about the contract. So we have spent a lot of time developing the contracts that we have with clients and with our contractors. And we're going to, we're creating a template right now that we can share with our community so that they can use this for their own projects, which is super exciting. Exactly. Which will be so helpful because obviously contracting is
1: complicated and it can get messy, but there are some really basic things that you absolutely need to look for. The first is payment, how much you're going to get paid and what's the payment schedule. If they're trying to say, we won't pay you until the end of all episodes have been delivered and it's up to the client's discretion if they're happy with the episodes, that's not going to cut it. Because you need to be able to say, if I've delivered X amount of work, I need to get paid. And really make it clear, like, I want to get paid on a biweekly basis or I want to get paid on an
2: episodic basis. Yeah, sometimes they won't listen, ask for what you want and then let them push back where they push back because like we've done that on payment terms. We're like, we need 30-day payment terms and Twitter is like, we have Mm -hmm, mm 90-day pay terms and we're like okay can we make that work or can we not so those are the sorts of things that you'll want to like ask for and negotiate for and you're not going to get everything but you'll get a lot and decide which ones are your deal breakers and which ones you're flexible mm-hmm. on
1: and i just do think the biggest thing is like don't get paid at the very end of a job all in one lump sum i do think it's important to to yeah, no. sparse it out throughout your project And another thing that I think is really important that I already touched on is you need a clearly defined scope of work. You need to say absolutely everything the client is asking you to do and then make a section saying what I'm not tasked with doing. Like, here are the things. I'm not going to be doing social audio clips. I'm not going to be doing audiograms. If you want this for me, that'll cost more. Like, really define what exactly your scope of work is as detailed as you can because this will come back to help you if there are contract disputes. If the client is asking you to do something that's out of scope and you end up just doing out of of pocket, you never want that to happen. So make sure everything is in writing that the client is asking you to do beforehand. And hey, if the client comes back to you and say, you know, we actually want you to pull 10 clips for social and we want you to create audiograms or whatnot, then say, great, I'll add that back into the contract. And this is my rate for that. But don't do work out of scope unless it's put back into your contract. Feel free to, re- to redo your contract as much as possible.
2: Yeah. I also would make sure that you specify the rounds of mm-hmm. revisions. So how many rounds of edits basically you're going to do if you're editing. And even if you're just doing story editing. So how many versions of you know the script or the written version of the episode are you going to do? So I think having you know, capped limitations. And then if it's going to go above and beyond, you can include an hourly rate and say, you know, if we need a third or a fourth round of revisions, that's fine. It's going to be, you know, $50 an hour, whatever you you know decide upon as your hourly rate.
1: Mm -hmm. And then I also think turnaround times are really important. Say my standard turnaround time is 48 business hours or 24 business hours. And if something is asked rush, then include rush fees. Say if something is asked for less than 48 business hours for a turnaround, for a script, then I incur a rush fee and whatever that rush fee is, is up to your discretion, but it could be hourly, it could be, you know, a percentage of your episodic fee, but really protect against all potential scope changes because scope creep is such a real thing in the contractor world. So if you have it in the contract itself, it really helps protect against these things.
2: Also set deadlines for how long a client has to give you feedback or revisions. So if they don't get you Mm -hmm. feedback within, you know, the three business days that you've allotted, then your production schedule, your own timeline that you have for editing needs to push back accordingly so that it's not cutting into how many days you have to then Mm -hmm. turn around the next version. So thinking through stuff like that as well is super helpful. Yeah. So that is, I think, the high level, everything that we want our folks to know before they begin working with a client. And in Anne's and my next episode, we're going to talk about best practices once you are already on the job and how to keep a client, assuming that you like them. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise when a client decides to say goodbye. And if you don't
1: like them, we'll give you graceful ways to say goodbye in a professional manner as well. <laughs>
2: Oh man, I've got so many up my sleeve. Fortunately, we don't have to use them very much anymore. (laughs) Our clients are wonderful, but we have had a few difficult projects throughout our tenure. And so I think we've gotten pretty good at this. So we'll share some of those Mm -hmm. tips and tricks. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.
0: Short and sweet and full of wisdom. In case you missed it, here's the rundown. Research the project and client before you go into an interview. Don't be afraid to really talk up your accomplishments, including specifics like hard and fast numbers. Just to kill, folks, even if it's just from the waist up. Know your worth and know what hills you're willing to die on during the contract process. And perhaps most importantly, get everything in writing. Everything. Thank you, Rachel and Anne, for sharing your tips for success. Can't wait to hear your tips next time on how to keep the client once you get the job. On next week's episode of Pod People's Podcast for people who make podcasts, we spotlight community member and producer extraordinaire Vishnu Vallabanani. He tells us about how public radio shaped his interests and even the way he speaks. If you were listening to me, you would probably have no idea that I'm actually from India, I grew up in Texas because I don't sound like I'm from anywhere. And I didn't really realize like how much public radio kind of shaped my personality. The Pod People team is Rachel King, and Fuse, Matt Sav, me, Tyler Green, Andrea Perez, Danielle Roth, Sammy Reed, Isabel Genius, Ashton Carter, Alexa Brooks Major, Stephanie Bashara, Devin Wilson, Percy Verlin, Madison Lesby, Brian Rivers, and Erica Wong. This podcast is edited by Katie Clarkson and mixed and engineered by Erica Wong. Links to everything we said in this episode are available in the show notes. Find us on social media. We are thirsty for your likes and follows on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Just type pod people and you will find us. And if you haven't already, be sure to join the pod people community by going to podpeople.com slash join. If today's episode is any proof, we are truly, really, genuinely here for you. You can also email us at hello at podpeople.com or even shoot me an email at Tyler at podpeople.com. Catch you on the flip side. Bye.
1: Or no pan. Well, as long as you're careful.
2: you keep the computer in the right place. Yeah. Don't move your computer if you do that.